The Soul of an Internet Machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a business and a software development team figuring their way through the challenges of launching a new venture. We make the occasional good decision, spend time following bad ones, and get trapped by world events. Ping me, Christina Moore, on Twitter at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike, C-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP, or at the website, ChristinaMoore.us. Chapter 8, Okta. Podcast Flow. Well, it started as a single application striving to help podcasters plan, produce, promote, and profit from podcasting. The scope of the project grew during the early months. I'd already admitted that we launched a quick venture with an incomplete plan, resulting in gradually increasing scope. Our team rapidly recognized the need for a vendor to manage financial transactions and help us stay on the good side of good rules. Expanding our software to incorporate an external vendor or partner during the purchase process proved new to us, but has become commonplace in the internet market space. We were slow to adopt this because our firm's traditional customers are governmental agencies. This technique of selling subscriptions in a retail-like fashion is a new business model for us. The technical challenges for us involved nearly instant communications of a purchase so that we could set up their account within our system. In the early winter of 2019, Kelly, Dr. Dr. Dodge, our collaborating partner on this business venture, stated that we should sell a course to better support podcasters. In response, I wrote a learning management system in three days using Oracle Apex. I'll dedicate a future chapter to this. The Learning Management System, or LMS, hosts lessons. Lessons include a video, some narrative text, some actions, handouts, etc. The LMS is a separate application from Podcast Flow. They do different things. Furthermore, not all people who buy Podcast Flow will likely buy a course. We just added complexity to the tools we now offer. A customer can buy X or Y or both. We need a means of allowing access to X or Y or both that is easy and seamless. Our Oracle tools, as well as our historic process, would work tolerably well, but not perfectly. Additionally, we recognize that we also want to permit registered users access to our help desk articles. Why should we ask a user to log in and out of applications? Why can't we make all of these tools appear and behave as one suite? Why should we ask the user for all of these clicks and navigation efforts? Why ask for username and password as the user transits from a course to podcast flow and back? That seems dumb. On the internet, you can find anything, of course, and maybe some things you don't want to find. We looked for and found a service named Okta, O-K-T-A. These guys provide a service that validates the identity of users and gives them the appropriate access to web-based software. One advantage of third-party services like Okta is that we can use them for tools like our help desk. It's like giving a user one key to open all of the rooms that they need. It improves simplicity. On the 8th of January, 2020, we spoke with someone who may well have been our salesperson at Okta. Frustratingly, it took weeks to get a phone call scheduled a call that ended in less than 15 minutes. We want support on the services we buy from them. In the internet machine, the supply line is digital. So is the delivery. Back in June, looking for an answer to a different problem for a different application for a different client, we found Okta. 
We wrote a bit of code to explore their capabilities and bought a subscription at $50 per month for their developer's product. We walked away after three weeks, frustrated with the firm, and I'll come back to that in a bit. Let's look at the internet machine from the user's perspective. Podcast Flow's philosophy included the mantra, mouse clicks are bad. Therefore, logging into an application should be effortless and secure. Ease is accomplished when a single sign-on is shared between tools or machines. When having multiple tools, then shared authentication of users between them reduces key clicks without risking security. Authentication asks, are you you? Oddly, the best ways to answer that may not be with an email address and a messy jumble of letters typed on a keyboard. Asking for a username and password does not inform the machine about the entity speaking to it. If a browser has remembered my credentials and automatically logs me in, then anyone at my browser will be treated as me. On a TV show about law or cops, this assumption would be circumstantial. Detective, that evidence is circumstantial at best. I need something more to get a guilty verdict. We know the quote. Our team password vault has 135 passwords that I have access to. Some are just mine. Some are critical passwords for infrastructure. For websites, tools, and applications I just don't care about, I have a page in Notepad++ stored privately on my computer. This page has another 100 entries of usernames and passwords. I have one password that is 20 characters long. It is used for sharing programming code with the team via Git. What does it take to use it? Step one. Open the VPN on my desktop. Step two, open the right software tool. Step three, do a git pull. Now I have access to some of the text files that is also our raw code. If you are at my desktop, I have a significantly larger problem, don't I? Am I more secure with 200 passwords or less? In 2019, The industry knows that the username plus password employs circumstantial evidence to identify an entity. Let's further admit that username password do not discriminate between human and non-human. It is a suite of technology that is as old as the computer industry. The old computers, the really big ones, the mini computers, the microcomputers of the 20th century, enjoyed one added level of security that newer machines do not have. The older legacy computers required a physical connection. It was a physical pair of copper wires that ran from one point to another point. And I include the telephone line in this analysis. Before my high school days in the late 1970s, I used a teletype to connect to a mainframe computer. Uncle Lou dialed a phone, a touchstone phone, then put the handset into an acoustic coupler modem, an early form of the modem. This clunky device would modulate digital data into an audible stream. Audible data is analog. It'll chart out on a graph as a waveform. On the other side of that call, a device answered. The analog stream would return to digital, demodulate. Modulating, then demodulating a data stream between digital and analog gives us the word modem. That teletype in Uncle Lou's office was the terminal. Word spat out from the remote side on fan-folded paper that had green and white horizontal bars. You'd type words in response. My first program resembled this. 10. Begin. 20. Print. C-H-R. Paren. 7. Close. Paren. 
30, and run. It rang the bell on the teletype. Forty years later, ASCII character 7 is still Bell, written B-E-L. Security on that system involved significantly more barriers than today's systems. Every modern system bears itself to the internet. It constantly listens for calls. Call it with HTTP, I mean your browser, the common internet hypertext transfer protocol. It'll answer. Call it with HTTPS. The S stands for secure, meaning it is encrypted. It will answer you. Call it on port 22, the SSH port. It'll answer. Your doorbell or thermostat would answer if I called it on the Telnet port, port 23. Telnet is a protocol that was established in 1969 as a means for a terminal to talk to a mainframe. Fifty years later, that port would give me control of the camera in your electronic doorbell. Your doorbell will answer anyone who comes knocking via the internet. And I would so like to be wrong about that. And gee, if I'm wrong about Telnet on port 23, I guarantee I am not wrong about devices answering when called by browsers. And I'm probably not wrong about SSH. Your doorbell, firmly attached to your house on your street, is open to the entire world via the internet. Your doorbell monitors your front door. Meanwhile, your doorbell is listening for instructions from the internet on ports 22, 23, 80, and 443. It is harder for me to get to your door than it is for me to get to your doorbell with its camera, microphone, and speaker. Your internet-based doorbell is open to the entire world, everywhere. To revise an annoying child's joke. Me, via the internet. Knock, knock. The doorbell via the internet. Who's there? You know the rest, don't you? Me via the internet. Admin. Doorbell via the internet. Password. Me. Admin. Doorbell. Welcome, admin. And the doorbell gives me a menu of actions, including turning off the camera, erasing data, go ahead, substitute doorbell for thermostat, or refrigerator, or television, or Wi-Fi, or internet router. Our firm managed $5 billion on behalf of the government of Puerto Rico following the hurricanes of 2018. 2,000 users uploaded 400,000 documents to our system as proof of legitimate financial activity. Usernames, passwords, automatic session timeouts burdened the users, so they told us, it's too much. We just need to get this job done. Our grants management system lifted the spirit and the construction techniques of a 40-year-old mainframe database to the internet. We painted it blue and white, and we used internet technology in as much as we had to. A fuller adoption of internet technology while adhering to the clicks are bad mantra had us exploring a better way of identifying the entity or human asking for access. In 1995, when I first got to Alaska, my boss's email password was read. Why? She knew she needed to read email. Done. This brings us back to Okta. Tracy Kidder wrote The Soul of a New Machine in the late 1970s. Most of the companies he mentioned are gone. Commonplace names of my youth and neighborhood have disappeared. DG, Deck, Wang. Curiously, for those who watch Boston-based broadcast television in 2019, and boy did I just narrow that audience, Digital Credit Union, also called DCU, 
seeks your patronage. This was the DEC Credit Union. DEC is gone. Their credit union remains. I wonder what of Okta will exist 40 years hence in 2059. I do have a guess based on the sheer arrogance of their posture in the market space, their staff, and their sales positions. Do they know history? They probably do. Business Decision Podcast Flow exists within a suite of related internet applications. Podcast Flow aids in the management of podcasts. The learning management system, currently called Maestro, hosts the courses. We want to give users ready access to the help desk tools. By extension, we want to have a single login for all three of these tools and let people navigate between them with ease. Three tools, one tool. An unnecessary distinction if access and navigation are shared. Okta states, Okta is the identity standard. To quote further, the most complete access management platform for your workspace and customers securing all of your critical resources from cloud to ground. In the architecture of the internet machine, Okta became part of our supply line. They plod through their mundane days unaware that we are their customer. They do their thing, we do our thing. They deliver a digital service via the internet. We pay monthly via credit card. In June, we wrote an application programming interface, or API, connector between us and them. This connector was written in our favorite programming language with Oracle, PLSQL. We got frustrated and abandoned that effort. Okta has a confusing message for their peers in technology. For $50 per month, you can use our service if you are self-guided and have a few thousand logins per month. We wrote the connector, contacted the company, and we were told by them we bought the wrong product from them. Whilst our connector perfectly served our needs. Confused? So were we. We walked away from Okta in June of 2019. Implementation. The business decision and implementation exists as separate activities. To my left is the stated operational goals. To my right are the pathways forward. Few vendors stand alone in their market space. For each Hertz, there is an Avis. For Coke, Pepsi, and Okta is not alone. Implementation includes our goals to use Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon credentials to identify the user. If you're already logged into Microsoft and have proven yourself to Microsoft, then do your work in podcast flow if you're a customer. With research and testing, we return to Okta. Our prior efforts with Okta focused on our government-facing software. This new effort, Podcast Flow, seeks thousands of retail customers. We want to get the product to the market with haste. We had already written a significant portion of the code for an Okta connector, or API. Within days, Okta can become integrated into our internet machine and its supplier network. We write, we test, we are successful. It is not a lot of work. Here is an inventory of the elements in our connector. List groups, list users, add new user, assign user to a group, suspend user, unsuspend user, delete a user, done. Each of these is a button someone will need to push at some point. The connector required 1,542 lines of code and comments in Oracle, just over 4,000 words. We measured the investment in days of work. Testing the connector again required only days. The connector works, 
or fails. If it fails, we must fix it. That's the secret with connectors. Okta provides the service. We own the problems. We own the code. If there is a problem, we must investigate and fix it. In October and November of 2019, we keenly remembered our frustrations of the recent June and our brief Okta engagement. Today, they are an industry-recognized leader. Today, they are trusted. Today, they have respected customers. Today, we have a functional connector. Today, they cost us $50 per month. November 12th or 13th of 2019 remains on my calendar as the first viable launch date for Podcast Flow. We missed that date. On December 20th, our connector failed. The failure demonstrated erratic behavior. Intermittent failure meant that there was a gremlin in the process. Let's examine the variables in the supply line. Our connector remained unchanged for weeks and functional. We own our piece of the cloud. We're firmly located at the mathematical center of the internet. As such, our internet connection is guaranteed by Amazon Web Services and approximates reliable. Our key troubleshooting question becomes, our problem or theirs? Intermittent failure on user authentication is the same as complete failure. Therefore, internet failure related to paying customers gaining access to their software is catastrophic system failure. In the lingo, we call this a P1 or a priority one issue. December 20th and the weekend that followed permitted us to step through a P1 issue while not in production. That's a luxury, a drill without the artificial aspects of a drill. System down. On the 20th of December, 2019, the connector with Okta demonstrated intermittent failure. Each hour, we got one inquiry answered, maybe. Our log showed rates of failure and success precisely. Had we paying customers, they could not log in. If paying customers cannot log in, your system is down. Whose system is down? Our system is down. We had no paying customers on that day, thankfully. The first action involves scoping the problem and seeing if we control the technology that breaks the connector. Troubleshooting technology looks like magic and appears to be a flurry activity, yet it should be as simple as flipping a light switch. Flip light switch, light on. Flip it again, lights off. If you flip the switch and the light does not come on, there is a problem. A finite list of candidates exist. If I start at the street and work in, it sounds like this. Is there power from the utility company? Is there a circuit breaker or fuse that should be checked? Is the wiring intact? Is the switch working? Is the light doodah working? Is the light bulb good? Switch on, light on. Switch off, light off. With 100 cycles, I expect the same behavior 100 times. Note the lack of magic. There is no magic. At some point, our team said, it ain't us, it's Okta. Our ticket to Okta went unanswered. On Saturday, our ticket remained unanswered. I called Okta's service line. While on the phone, I was informed that they do not provide support to customers of our sort. With a description of a critical failure and demonstration via logs and other proof that they owned the responsibility for the problem, I got put through. They consented to opening a ticket. In the literal, I heard, 
We'll do you a favor this once. I got connected with a technician. Within an hour, the problem was solved. He swore he did nothing. Problem disappeared. On that day, I asked to be contacted by sales to buy a support contract. Sales meeting. The sales meeting took 12 minutes and executed on the 9th of January, 2020. That was the 10th business day following my request. Our account manager, Nolan Doyle, immediately corrected the introduction his colleague provided. He upgraded his title to sales executive. Based in Washington, D.C. area, he stated that he aided emerging markets along the eastern seaboard of the United States and went to describe Okta as a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange, giving New and York special verbal emphasis. Okta has a duty to their shareholders and investors. He did not tell us his honor duty. He asked, how many users are we expecting? We tossed a number, 20,000, 1,000. We were already shamed by him for being too small to earn a spot in his definition of emerging markets. His word selection and his tone communicated that he had no time for our questions. Arrogance. What a wonderful tool arrogance can be. Done right, it provides the individual the confidence to try new endeavors and expect success. I can often go toe-to-toe with any arrogant bastard. Family legacy, family connections, personal accomplishments, professional accomplishments, publications, earnings. I can win on so many of those fronts. Arrogance and sales can work too. It certainly did work for Data General, founded by four employees of the Digital Electronics Corporation, DEC, in 1968. They competed for customers against DEC and IBM for a decade-ish. Sadly, their internet domain name, DG, is now owned by Dollar General, a discount department store. DG emerged to fight for customers in a market space that was then defined by their competitors. In the 1980s, these guys even printed t-shirts saying, we did it on a desktop. I remember the fleet of DEC and IBM salesmen. Yes, salesmen. The stories ring with hyperbole. The strict dress codes, the codes of conduct, the uniformity and approach. I once had an office adjacent to the regional DEC sales office. These guys had nearly identical Ford Taurus sedans. Sales managers did a bounce test on their cars to confirm that they were locked with the alarm set. In that same time frame, I got a holiday card from the local Xerox sales team. 50 people standing in front of a suburban tech-based office park, complete with a pond. 50 faces on 50 identical suits and bodies. Pre-Photoshop, that was a pretty good sight gag. Well done, Xerox. And a very dated sight gag. Who is Xerox and why are identical people a funny thing? Hmm. The delight I have in writing about the arrogance of IBM, DEC, and Xerox Salesforce is their obsolescence. Gone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Taurus. Bye-bye, white starch shirt or the light blue version. Bye-bye to that arrogant sales manager who said, I can tell everything I need to know by looking at a guy's right heel, his watch, and the fit of his jacket. This man wanted to see a smoothly worn shoe heel indicating hundreds of hours driving. Shabby shoes, bad. But shoes worn in the correct way with polish, good. In 1979, DG, Data General, states, We intend to make a lot of money. They barely made it from 1979 to the internet before dying. 
they staked the claim that they will sell a lot of units at a deep discount. My arrogant account executive from Okta proved himself and his value with a link to the New York Stock Exchange following an IPO less than two years ago. His message, Okta is a big deal and we have big deal customers. Are you a big deal customer? Really, his question should have been, will you be a big deal? He didn't even get that right, asshole. Nolan Doyle informed us that we were on the developer's trial. To that, I offered a correction. We're on a paid service, so it is not a trial. It is the service we need. He told me that they call it the trial. I returned the comment. We did a 30-day trial for free, but then executed with the My American Express, therefore not a trial, a paid service. Well, semantics aside, you're on the developer's product. To buy service, you must buy one app. Nolan, I do not want one app. We don't need it. We have already integrated you into our product as is. But to get support, you must buy one app. He then explained, you have support now. It is basic success. This gives you access to support 12 hours per day, five days per week. Right. With a returned email at two or three business days, I cannot run a production system and have you as an ecosystem partner without support. You'll need one app. Okay, I'll bite. How much is one app? $17,000. But this is the end of our fiscal quarter, so I'm in a position to give you an amazing discount. In time, after some more conversation, the price came to $11,000. The support for one app cost $3,000. He has no ability to discount support costs because of the very real investment in human capital. Support, he explains to me, is a capital-intensive venture. That little snark generator in the lower part of my brain tossed a few poorly chosen phrases into the conversation. In short, if you will commit to spending $20,000 per year with us, we will answer the phone. Until then, fuck you. Well, fuck you. Click. Well, no, I didn't say fuck you, and neither did Nolan Doyle account executive. He is the modern-day equivalent to the starchy-shirted IBM and deck guys with their gently worn right heel from resting next to their Ford Taurus accelerator pedal. He is that same guy. Today, he likely wears some fitness-focused not-a-watch on his wrist. So at $50 per month, we have a supply line partner for our machine who will not answer the phone. Our machine has multiple separate applications tied to one, project management, training, support. Frankly, if our growth predictions are correct, we will exceed Okta's definition of one app, so we will need to move to their $42,000 per year enterprise account. What will it cost me to replace Okta? First option, find a competitor, write a connector, so another 2,000 lines of code. That's barely a week's work. My goal would be to have a supply partner I can call with a critical failure for less than $20,000 per year. That's a savings right there. My second option is to write the tools we need internally. Can I write a single sign-on solution for less than $50,000? These connectors and authentication processes predicate on public and shared standards. Yes, we can. That's my arrogance. What will it cost me to operate with Okta and face catastrophic failure on their part? Well, 
Okta and Podcast Flow both depend on Amazon Web Services. Study the Okta website and you'll learn that if they have a failure, we'll all starve. None of us can fly. The court systems will fail. There are no airport car rentals. Okta will minimize the risk and therefore they will minimize our risks. Oh, that list is so pre-COVID. Clearly, when I wrote this in January of 2019, the worst I could think of was empty shelves at the grocery and grounded planes. I think the point is made. Okta sold to a lot of large internet companies who rely on them. Their failure will impact many. We were told by Okta, we don't need support because we are too small and bought the wrong product. Okay, Okta, we hear you. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC 2020, all rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay too, christina at christinamore.us. Mm-hmm.